Good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, good to see all of our, not all our college kids, but a lot of them are back. Uh, I've got one of mine back, and another one will be coming in on Tuesday night, and got, uh, looks like some of the Harding kids are back. Um, I feel like I'm missing some other college kids here, but they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh, but we're so glad that uh, they're here. Singing was so good this morning. I appreciate it so much um, and everything um, that you're doing. So this week, it's the best week of the year. If you don't know that, it's Thanksgiving. And then there's that other one coming up after it. <coughs> we, won't, we won't get into it. Um, but go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, to, to the book of Mark chapter 10. The book of Mark chapter 10, I don't say this enough, I deal with this more in my Bible classes, that we deal with the same text, but when you see the literary genius of the gospel of Mark, it, it just opens your mind up to things that you never saw before. This is, this is a great example. This story, if you just read it, and you're just reading your Bible, and you come to this, it doesn't seem like anything special. I mean, you may say, well, I'm sure it was special for blind Bartimaeus, right? You know, he's healed and everything else. There's so much here. There's just so much here. And it, it's bringing everything to light um, as to what has been happening. We have been going into this second act, if you will, of the Gospel of Mark. And, and what I mean by the second act is that these things are divided into these sections. The first section... Uh, was about Jesus's Galilean ministry and, and then it, it comes to this point and it starts off and you may remember this it started off with the healing of a blind man in, in Bethsaida okay and, and if you remember that particular story it, it it's here's this here's this blind man he's brought to Jesus and and something fascinating happens we never see this before Jesus doesn't heal him the first time. We don't ever see anything like that with Jesus. Jesus walks on water. He stops storms. He casts out legions of demons. And yet when he comes to this blind man, he, he only sees shapes and colors, and, and it, but everything's still blurry, and he requires a second touch. This act, this second section, ends with the healing of a blind man. <laughs> This is not a coincidence, folks. In fact, both sections are bracketed this way, and they came to. They say the exact same thing, because Mark wants us to understand these things are supposed to be put together. And what it is signifying to us with the healing of this blind man at Bethsaida, it's not that Jesus didn't have the strength to heal this man, but it's showing something that of what this section is about in its spiritual blindness and especially with the disciples of Jesus and it's right after that that they say Jesus you are the Christ it's the first time they say it finally these disciples they're finally seeing Jesus for who he is but they're still only seeing shapes and colors and everything's still blurry because they don't see Jesus as the one who will go to a cross we just finished the third prediction of Jesus' coming, death, rejection, and, 
and even resurrection. But there's still this blindness. And how all of this is put together, it's just, it's brilliant. So we've been on this journey with Jesus in this section, in this bracketing. And, and the, the key phrase that we find here is, and on the way. This is, this is the way it began in the first part of this section. And it becomes a major theme as you continue through this section. And you're going to see this morning that it ends <laughs> in this same kind of bracketing. And on the way. Where are they going? They're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the place where the disciples are going to finally have to have the second touch of Jesus. So that they can truly see. To see clearly. And all along the way, Jesus has, has tried to help them to see. To, to heal them of their blindness. And he's been giving these little quips and quotes. You remember these? For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life will save it. If anyone would be first, he must be last. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for of such belongs to the kingdom of God. These are the least. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the servant of all. And this whole thing has been leading up to the narrative of blind Bartimaeus. And you're like, I don't see it. Yes, that's the point. It's time to see clearly. This blind man is the only one. And, and typical, if, you, if you've been following Mark at all, he loves irony. And there's nothing more ironic than a blind man being the only one who's being able to see. But what did the blind man see? So we begin... Here in verses 46 through 48, still in, in Mark 10, and it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timotheus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The first thing that we see is that they are in Jericho. And that is significant. Why? Because they are very close to Jerusalem. Here's Jericho. They are only a day's walk from, from Jerusalem. And so here is the place, as they are going out of Jericho, that this blind man is sitting. And it is the perfect place for him to sit because this is where the people are going on these pilgrimages they they skip Samaria they didn't want to go into these what they considered unclean areas and this is the way Jesus has been going we've seen this all, all along the way and so they come across the Jordan River to Jericho and then they go up this very steep incline to Jerusalem they didn't have government assistance for disabilities in that day and time. His whole livelihood depended on what other people would give him by means of charity. And he's sitting here hoping there are generous pilgrims who are heading to Jerusalem. It's getting close to the time of Passover and the Feast of Weeks and these types of things. 
But we also see that Jesus is passing by, and this man is yelling out to him. And he calls out, cries out to Jesus to have mercy on him. And the crowd, what do they do? They want him to be quiet. And already, folks, we can, we can see... This is very important. Am I on? Oh, I am. Okay. Uh, this is very important because we can resonate with this man. Some of you, you're here today and you've got some kind of maybe in your life. And, and, and you know what it's like for people to try to tell you just to push you down and, and to be quiet. Maybe you feel like that person that, you know what, people don't look at me as someone who is important to society. I'm, I'm looked at as someone who is not. And, and I would say to you, Bartimaeus would tell you, listen, don't listen to the crowds. Get louder. These stories that we find here, they're not just for us to go through and say, well, that was, that was difficult for that guy. We are to find encouragement in those things, in the things that happened to us. What about the Seraphonician woman? She continued to persist. And yet Jesus had initially rejected her. What about, um, what about Jairus? He had to ignore the mockery of the mourners who were mourning his daughter's death so that he could believe that this Jesus could in fact raise his daughter from the dead. It's a leper and it's a woman who had this continuous flow of blood for 12 years. They have to, they have to overlook or push through the fact that they're not supposed to be there based on the laws of cleanliness, but they are persistent so that they can come to Jesus. And their persistence, in all of these cases, it pays off. And what I'm telling you is this. Listen, you may be on the edge this morning mentally. You know what? You're just not sure if you're ready to go another day. And what I'm here to tell you is, Jesus says, call out to me. He wants you to not listen to the crowds. Don't listen to those who tell you that prayer doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Don't listen to our culture that says you're praying to something that doesn't even exist. We cry out to God in our times. You pursue. But there's more than a blind man wanting to be healed by this great healer did you notice something else that he calls jesus this is key this is the first time we see this in the gospel of mark he calls him the son of david and i know you're thinking okay well i have no idea what that is or you may even think well i don't think that's really important at all and some of you may say well i've got kind of an idea of what it is but i'm not real sure what it means but let me just tell you just very briefly it means they he believes that jesus is the one that they had been awaiting for centuries that would come into the world and bring his eternal kingdom that's what it meant and at that time they believed that the one who was going to come and this is something that happened during that intertestament period we talked about it in bible class but it's something this writing that happened and they believed that the messiah was going to be this divine warrior king and he's going to come and he's going to to deal with the Roman oppressors. He's going to chase them off, and the Gentiles, and all of these kinds of things. But when, 
this man saw Jesus, he did not call out to him, the son of David, the great warrior king who's come to deliver us from our oppressors. He says, have mercy on me, son of David. Because he understood what the prophets had written, that the one who's coming is the one who's merciful. He's not come to destroy sinners. There's going to be a judgment one day. But his first coming, it's about saving sinners. It's about making people well and whole. And, and I think this is important for us because what I want you to see is the disciples had a problem seeing who Jesus was because they already had a preconceived idea of who Jesus was. I'm glad they're the only ones that do that. Can we do the same thing? Do we think we already know everything that there is about Jesus? We've heard the stories over the years, and so we just assume this is who Jesus is. This is our, this is, you know, as, as Americans, we can have this idea of who Jesus is, and these things can bleed into our understanding, and that's why we come to these texts and we simply submit ourselves to them. Because they're having problem truly seeing because they will not be open-minded as to who he really is. They have put Jesus in a box. But here in Act 2, only a blind man sees clearly. The son of David is the one who's come to give mercy to the outcasts and to the sinners. He's the one who's come to bring healing, not an army. But it keeps going. Verse 49. So he says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Did you notice that three times? Call, call, call. Same word. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, or some of yours may say, Rabboni, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus is 15 miles from his place of rejection and torture and suffering. And yet, he stops to this man that the crowds have already seen as someone who's really not that important. I love the Greek here. It says that Jesus stood still. I like that. And that same Jesus still hears the cries of the distressed. He still hears our cries above the noise of the crowds. When we cry out to God, the creator of heaven and earth, he stands still. He hears.
know what it's pinching. Is that better? Till it falls off. <coughs> Listen to this. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. You see, I'm not just a voice in the crowd. You're not just a voice in the crowd. And I'll tell you, this thought has gotten me through a lot of times of depression. And I've talked about the things I've suffered with before. But this one thought keeps me going. I know that he hears me. Jesus calls the blind man to come. And immediately springs up. And, and he jumps up in this excitement. He comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? And at first thought of that, it's like, seriously? <laughs> Jesus, I mean, this guy basically stumbled to get to you. Um, you know, he would have been as recognizable as someone walking into our building with dark glasses and a stick. It would have been that obvious. And anytime we see something and we're like, Jesus, that is so obvious. What is going on? Especially someone who can read the minds of others. Then we're supposed to stop and figure out what's, what's this about. And by the way, does this question sound familiar? Remember last week, James and John? They come to Jesus and say, we want you to give us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You see, this question is one of the most important questions that God asks us. And every one of us are asked this question. What is it that you really want Jesus to do for you? It's the most important question. It reveals our motives. It's the same question that's asked to James and John. Do we want to be healed of our blindness? Or do we want to be given something selfishly for ourselves? Do we want to be saved so that we're not punished? And we know that's a part of what is said. But is that our motivation? Lord, just don't punish me. Or is the motivation that I just want to be with you? I want to follow Jesus. Is our motivation to, to go to God in our prayers and ask him to help us get this promotion so that, you know, we can move up the corporate ladder? Or is it for maybe the purpose that we can do more for the kingdom of God? Do we want that, that raise or maybe that bonus or whatever it may be so that, you know, I can build a bigger house? And, and am I looking at it as, you know what, I would like to have something I can put more stuff in, my possessions. Or is it something that we look at and say, it's something I would like to share with others and I could do more with. Do we want good health so that we can do all the things we like to do? Or do we want good health so we can serve others? I'm going to tell you something. 
You want to see something beautiful? Watch disciples who have the right motives. It's amazing. It's so amazing. When you see disciples ask for things, it goes beyond their own exaltation. When you see people who, that, you know, they, they're being put into the spotlight. They, they have moved up the corporate ladder. And, and just to be in the season that we're in, in, in college football, you know, my, my quarterback, Tua Tagalavoa, if I said that right, he's, he's out for the season. He's still my favorite person. You know why? Because he just continues to give glory to God. He continues to say, football is not what my life is about. There was another guy in the state of Florida who was like that. Y'all may remember him too, Tim Tebow. And you love to see this guy. He, he's, he's put up here, but listen to his motivation in being in this spotlight and how he uses it. I've known two people in two different states and churches that they built a bigger house and they said that this we are building for God. You may say, well, what does that even mean? They said, we're going to use this place to bring people from church that we can host in groups together. We've got a big enough house that we can do this kind of thing. We, we, I've seen them say to the youth, look, anytime you need this house, anytime you need this for an activity, we want you to do it. I've seen people bring them into this house because they've known people who are going through hard times and they need a place to stay uh, in, 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 a, in a temporary type of fashion, and they've just been there. I've seen Christians who've gotten a bonus. I, I've had people who have come into an inheritance, a big inheritance, and they've come to me, and they've said to me, I've, I've got this. I, just, I, I don't know what's the best way to use it. I want to help people. I've had believers tell me, you know what, I'm in good health. Is there anything I can do for any of our widows or any of our elderly folks that I can help them with? And you see what they're doing, you see what their motivation. Jesus what says, what do you want me to do for you? What is our motivation in answering that question? Bartimaeus, he wants sight. And I love what it says there, that his faith has made him well. Did you catch that part? Bartimaeus didn't need a second touch like the first guy. You remember, you remember him, right? He didn't need that. He's different. So James and John, when they come to Jesus, what do they say when Jesus says, what can I do, what do you want me to do for you? They ask for extraordinary glory. Bartimaeus just asked for ordinary help. There's a contrast. This contrast is supposed to be made in the text, the way Mark sets this whole thing up. And the word healed that we see here, this man's faith, let me start with faith first of all, because a lot of people say, well, I have faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in God. We're going to see a contrast with that in just a moment. But when that word is seen, as we see in our text, it is something that means that I trust, I have complete reliance upon God. And what was his statement of faith? He calls him the merciful son of David. He believes he is the true Messiah who has come to save humanity. Not that he's going to set up a nationalistic kingdom. 
where they're going to have these special places of honor and power. The word healed, where it says he was made well, it actually has a double meaning in the Greek. It, it means the physical sense, but it also has a spiritual sense that can be used. In Bartimaeus's case, it's both. It's both. He, he's healed physically, but also he has this, this spiritual enlightenment that happens as well. And we, and we notice here in the text, it says uh, that he began to follow Jesus on the way in verse 52. You see that? This is so big. This is big. This is the way it ends. And you got to see it. Because this is the climax. Verse 46, look at that again. Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. But at the end, he is on the way. Jesus has transformed Bartimaeus from being a, be a, 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 a blind beggar on the side of the road to being a disciple of Jesus on the road. Folks, this is the difference in being a bystander, someone who follows the crowds, and someone who is a true disciple that in faith I completely rely upon Christ. Jesus can heal physical blindness, but more importantly, he can heal spiritual blindness. Bartimaeus voices what every disciple should desire, and that is the ability to see Jesus. We've sung this song for many years. You know it. Just this little portion. Sing it with me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Listen to this. Was blind, but now I see. What amazing grace, what amazing mercy. Bartimaeus is the model disciple in this entire section. It's not Peter, the one that many saw as the leader among the twelve. It's not him. He wanted Jesus to reign without the cross, if you remember. It's not James and John. They're part of the inner circle, but, but they're also looking for places of authority and power. At the same time, glorifying Christ, but they also have these ambitions. It's not the twelve, the select chosen, because they're always arguing over who's the greatest. It's Bartimaeus. It's the least, the last, who is the greatest. A contrast is being made once again with the rich man and Bartimaeus. Both of them are called. They're both called, and, and we see that they took two totally different ways. And when we look at the rich man, we would say, this is a guy who is admired. He's a rich man. He is, he's the first as society sees him. This guy has it all. He would be considered by others as he's the greatest. This is the guy who can help fund the revolution, and Bartimaeus, who is he? He's just a social outcast. He's the last. He's a blind beggar. He is the least. 
And the thing that held back the rich man was his wealth. He was more interested in gaining the whole world. But for blind Bartimaeus, it says here, and this is a very significant text here, what he says, he throws off his cloak. The casting off was showing that he is leaving all that he has, more than likely is this cloak, and to come and to follow Jesus. One man walked away blind, but it wasn't Bartimaeus. He was more involved in gaining the whole world, but Jesus says, when you do that, you lose your own soul. Bartimaeus, he cast it all off to be a follower of Jesus. He's no longer beside the road. He's on the road. And of all the healing, this is the last healing that we find in the Gospel of Mark. There's going to be another miracle in a couple of weeks, and it's just, it's like, what? This is, this is it? But here's the last healing, and this is the only healing that we know the person's name. And we know a couple of them's relatives, Simon and Jairus, but this is the only one who Jesus heals that we know his name. And that may indicate to us just the kind of person Bartimaeus became in these churches that were associated with Mark. This is the narrative that Mark uses to bridge Act 2, the journey to Jerusalem from after the Galilean ministry, and next week we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. A whole new thing is about to begin, but as the group sets off, this is what Mark does. This is so great. Mark is really inviting us to join them on the road with Jesus. Do you want to be beside the road with the crowds? Or are you ready to see Jesus for who he is? To cast off whatever it may be in my life. And to get on the road with Christ. And be discipled by Jesus. But the contrasts are made. And so it's up to us to make that decision. Will we see what the blind man saw? If you're not a disciple of Jesus, it begins with this thing called faith. And it's more than just, I believe there is a God. It means I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus who saves me. And we want to help you with that faith because that's where it begins. And if we can help you in any way and help continue on this journey with Jesus, you're going to see that when we submit our lives, it leads to all of these other wonderful things that all leads to Jerusalem. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, come as together we stand and as we sing.